Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beanless and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Tonight we have with us 14-year-old junior correspondent, Sal Katz. And believe me, after talking with Sal, he knows his stuff, and Sal's going to break it all down for us tonight. Sal, welcome to the pod, man. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much for having me on here. I'm really excited for this. So, I mean, we said you're 14 years old, right? Let's start. This is going to be kind of, you know, our year-end segment. And we're going to start with someone who's relatively close to your age. And that's Coco Goff. And what a year she had, right? Round of 16 at Wimbledon. Third round U.S. Open, losing to Naomi Osaka. A title at Linz. Also a lot of success in doubles with another young U.S. US player in Katie McNally. What do you think of Coco? One year older than you, man. It's honestly crazy when you think about it. You know, my sister's older than her. She's, you know, a high school student, essentially. And I think with her success, too, it's, it emulates that she really knows what she's doing. She has that mental capacity. Um, and I think that, especially at the U.S. Open Tour, we saw she had two really tough battles, along with the round of 32 win over Polona Herzog at Wimbledon. Yep. When she came back, moving down in the second set. Um, it's really, it just shows how much maturity she has for her age. I know nobody who could play like that um, with mental, with that kind of mental maturity and that kind of, you know, just that drive in your in, in you. And I think that that's so it's so amazing to see, especially because of her age. But even if it was an older player, it's still like it's a great thing to watch to see someone come back from that, to see someone fight to the end. If she had tough matches at the U.S. Open. She crashed out to Osaka, but at the end of the day, she has had an amazing year, especially with the title at Linz as well where she was a lucky loser and able to still, again, come back. I think that was a story for her. Um, along with the Katie McNally, they just were consistently putting in good results. So I'm stunned. I think that she's an amazing player, and she definitely deserves the success she had this year. Yeah, I, I echo your thoughts. And you talk about that maturity that she has. And, you know, in that in that uh, match at Wimbledon against Lona Hercog, you saw that maturity, you know, highlighted in such a big way. It wasn't just all power tennis. There was a lot of slicing and dicing, and she had a ton of variety in her game, which she needed that day to win that match. And, and again, I echo your thoughts. Very impressive, and we're going to see uh, what this next year brings for Coco. Yeah, no, I think that she will definitely be able to uh, progress next year even further, especially with the number of tournaments being opened a little bit more with the WTA um, as she gets older. I definitely think with that Polona Herzog match, yeah, she has that drive. She has the variety. She had actually talked about at the post-match interview how her coach had just really told her, like, let's work on your slice, let's work on your slice. Yep. She was reluctant, but she, she did it, and it really does pay off. Like, she's just a very quality family story for tennis. Absolutely, yep. So let's kind of take a uh, broader view, and let's look at the men, and let's look at the slams, because... Yeah. Again, a lot of new faces this year, but at the end of the day, Novak wins Australia, Rafa wins the French, Novak wins Wimbledon in a, you know, by the skin of his teeth, and Rafa wins the U.S. Open. So a lot of new faces, but at the end of the day, big three. Obviously, Roger didn't win a slam. He came mighty, mighty close. Next-gen guys didn't quite get there when it, when it counted. I mean, yeah, I would say that. I think that there's an issue with or balancing generations or labeling them. It's kind of a thing of where you have people like Tverev who are coming on the game, had a bit of a rough year, but still putting consistent results everywhere. And then you look at someone like Grigor Dimitrov, who had a complete collapse in this lost generation, you might call it, with the same age 
range somewhat of Novak and Rafa. And then you look at him now making the U.S. Open semis, beating Federer. And again, that's just, I think, Federer for this year. His issue was he was just choking when it counted. Had a 2-1 lead on Dimitrov, was up a set, and was close, had break points in the third set of the Indian Wells final yep. with uh, Dominic Queen. Also, you know, especially the biggest choke of the year, I would say, would be the Wimbledon final when he was all on his serve and he just wasn't able to capitalize. Kudos to Djokovic, he's an amazing returner. But you have to look at the fact that I agree that the next gen is definitely going to dominate the next 10 years of tennis, but I wouldn't be surprised for the first five we're finally able to see someone like Grigor Dimitrov come out of his shell or Dominic Team, who's kind of straddling that line, really start to progress as a player even more from what they've already had. I believe Dimitrov can get back into the top 10. I believe that Raonic, if he's healthy, can also do that as well. I believe that all of these players, they can, um, they've kind of been forgotten about, and I think that... Um, especially in the Grand Slam, you see Raonic made the quarterfinals of Australia. We look at uh, someone like Stan Bobrinko, who's had a big comeback here, quarterfinals of U.S. Open and Roland Garros with that epic match against beating Stefano Tsitsipas, one of the leaders of the next gen. So I wouldn't hold my breath on, um, on this lost generation because I do believe that um, they had consistent results this year. Obviously, Novak and Rafa were able to dominate the field even more just because of their sheer talent. But I, I was surprised this year to see the success of them because they had not... Stan Wawrinka was on injury, Dimitrov was playing bad, and they were able to, to finally step up again this year. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and believe me, this next gen, these guys are coming. And I, I, we'll get to yeah. it kind of near at the end. But 2020, in my belief, it, it, it's the year that one of these guys are going to take it. And one guy that we have not mentioned yet um, is Daniil Medvedev. And my gosh, what a swing he had in the summer and fall. And you, here's a guy, he gets the finals of the City Open, losing to Nick Kyrgios. Finals of Montreal, losing to Rafa. He wins Cincinnati, being no, beating Novak and, and Goffin. Uh, David Goffin in the semis and, and finals, respectively. Finals of the U.S. Open, losing to Rafa in that incredible match, and you think he may be yeah. done after that. He's not. He wins St. Petersburg two weeks later, wins the Shanghai Masters 1,000 tournament, almost a month later, beating Tsitsipas and Sasha in the semis and finals, then finally runs out of gas in the Paris Masters event and at the ATP Finals in London. But, my gosh, what a run for Daniil Medvedev. Medvedev, what are your thoughts on him? He is one of those players that I think will go under the radar for, like, periods of time, and then he'll somewhat just spring up and do exactly what he did this year. Um, you look at him where he just had, I would argue that his, yes, he wasn't making finals every week, but really he had another uh, swing of that um, in the end of 2018 when he was finally able to play really well. came in as a qualifier to the Tokyo Masters in 2018, was finally able to, you know, get to that and actually destroyed everybody in that field. And I think that was, I kind of use that as my kind of analysis for his summer, where we see a guy who kind of came out of nowhere for a lot of tennis fans and just obliterated every match that he possibly could. He literally got to the, he just destroyed and destroyed and destroyed. Um, Kyrgios, tough man, plays when he wants to, like plays good when he wants to. Rafa, always amazing. Uh, but I think that especially this year, it's been Medvedev versus Djokovic. It has been really entertaining to watch as well. We see Medvedev has just really come out of his shell this year. He became more connected with the fans. He became more, you know, he just became a presence that I think people lacked to see in him. And I think especially with that Tokyo run where he kind of established himself as a player in the top 30. Now he, he entered the season as a player in the top 30. Had a really good start to the season. Bit of a 
you know, not the best between uh, Roland Garros and the uh, City Open, but as soon as the hardcore swing comes around, I think every year we should be on the lookout for him because he is a firehouse that he's just, it's just going to be hard to tame him. Unbelievable. And, you know, I, I know, it, yeah. just looking at previous history, when guys have such great summer runs, they wind up playing so many matches. And by the time they get to that final slam at the U.S. Open, when you're now looking at going three out of five, so many guys just run out of gas and lose early. And he struggled early in that tournament. There were a few dicey yeah. matches early. But even after the U.S. Open, to do what he did without running out of gas was Incredible. There are so many cases I can give you um, of players that having such good summer runs and then eventually just run out of gas. It's the end of the year. They played so many matches. And for Daniil Medvedev to do what he did is really, really impressive. And look out for just huge, huge things from him, um, not only in 2020, but, but in beyond. So, um, yeah, I, w- I, definitely, go ahead. I definitely believe that too, yeah. I want to kind of talk about a group of players and they're all within a specific region and that's the you know this was really the 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 year of the canadians and when i when i want to kind of approach this subject this is a little bit going before your time but this group reminds me so much of the late 80s and early 90s of the americans that were coming up pete sampras andre agassi jim courier michael chang now those guys they won a few slams when they were really young obviously but the game has changed so much. On the men's side, right now, it's especially very, very difficult to win yeah. a slam at those ages. But, you know, you look on the on the women's side. Bianca Andreescu did it. And Bianca Andreescu, I mean, it wasn't too long ago. She was playing 25Ks. I know she played a 25K in Lawrence, Kansas, in 2018. Didn't even win the tournament. Now, she lost to a very good player. We mentioned her earlier, Katie McNally, in the quarterfinals. And Katie won it. But, I mean... What a year for Bianca. And then you had the emergence of young Felix. You had Denis Shapovalov. You had Milos Raonic and Vasek Pospisil. I mean, he had a great end of the year. Davis Cup finals. They, the Canadians get to the final before losing to Rafa in Spain. Yeah. What a year for the Canadians. What are your thoughts on them? Um, I, first of all, I, I guess I want to talk about, since we were talking about Daniel Medvedev, I'd like to just quickly talk about Vasek Pospisil. He really did have a good end of the year. He was probably the closest person to uh, to beat Daniel Medvedev in Shanghai. He had a few opportunities to actually knock a set off him and unfortunately wasn't able to do that. Um, but he's one of those players that would go under the radar, I think, for a while. But, like, you know, he had great wins at, um, in the U.S. Open. He beat Karen Hatchinov, which was the 10th seed there. And I think that he has the sky's the limit for him if he can just maintain his injuries, be stable, be more consistent. Um, I want to steer, obviously, towards Bianca Andreescu because she just – blew everyone away this year. She started out the year in Auckland, and I know that her talks about Indian Wells and um, and the U.S. Open as her, like, big, um, you know, surprise, welcome to the party, but she really just showed herself in Auckland. Beating Caroline Wozniacki, the number one seed in straight sets in Auckland, was, I think, the moment when people started, should have started paying attention to her originally, made the final, lost the top final to Yulia Gerges, but she... Definitely proved her worth. Made it through qualifying at the Australian Open. Second round. Top three setter with a good veteran, Sebastova. Um, then went to Acapulco in the semifinal. Then made it to Indian Wells as a wild card. Right. And she, again, just destroyed. And I think that's so amazing to see from her. Um, she played, I think, the best match of the season just by level, beating Gardenia Muguruza 6-1, 6-0. Um, so I definitely believe she's earned success, especially at the U.S. Open as well. She just blew everyone away. She definitely deserved to win that title. It was all in the cards for her. 
just quickly on Felix and Dennis. Dennis obviously had a tough middle of the season, but able to come back and get, get that final, that first title um, in Stockholm and then the final in Paris. He uh, is definitely proving his worth. I think he could be one of those next gens to win a slam the next two years if he can get his consistency up. And Felix, too, he just needs his consistency, and I think they'll both be powerhouses. They could be the next Agassi Sampras of, of North America. That's a bold statement. We'll see. That's a bold statement right there, son. <laughs> they have the game. Yeah, yeah, we, we shall see. Um, it, yeah. it is an incredible group, and it's going to be fun watching them these next few years. Before we kind of go into some predictions, I do want to um, talk about one other thing before we get to that point, and that mm-hmm. is your thoughts on the American tennis men versus the American tennis women and, you know, why the women are ahead at this point. And I'll say this, you remember, it, w- it wasn't too long ago. In 2017, we had all four U.S. W- US women uh, in the U.S. Open semis in Sloan Stevens, Madison Keys, Coco Vandaway, and Venus Williams. I know you have some thoughts on this topic. I'll let you kind of run with it. Yeah, I, first of all, I kind of talk about, yes, that is extremely true. I Though I think that, especially with the American tennis women, it's the new, it's the newcomers. You look at people like Sophia Kennan, Katie McNally, and um, Coco Goffer, and kind of leading that craze along with Allison Rice, who's new to the game on this one. Um, she, I mean, they're all, what, what I think is different in them compared to the American men, Fritz, Tiafo, um, Opelka, I think what's different is that the women just have such a more, and I talked about this earlier, just a better mental drive in that, you know, never say die attitude. You have Sophia Kennan who walked onto the Roland Garros center court, uh, Philippe Chatrier, and she just obliterated Serena Williams. No, there was, there was nothing else to it. She just put, outplayed her completely, held her composure throughout the full match, and even though she ended up losing to Ashley Barty, she gave a fight. It was not just, she was, it's not like she just fell off the high of beating Serena. She really fought for it. So I think she's going to watch out for Coco Goff, we've obviously talked about, has that drive, has um, effort to go through setters versus someone who looked like Taylor Fritz who can put in a few good results. He won his first title this year, made two eight, uh, 250 finals in July, but unfortunately lost that success right after and did not actually like, win a good match, I would say, up until Labor Cup um, when he was finally able to get a win under his belt. I think that, and that's, I think that's true a lot. I think the American men need to work on their consistency more so than any anything. And the women are just doing really well right now, getting that um, consistency level up, putting in good results. Allison Risk had an amazing Asian swing. And you also have to look at, you know, they just have that mental toughness that I think the men are lacking right now. And she, uh, you know, shout out Allison Risk. She had a great Wimbledon, too. She beat the number one player in the world. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and, and I've had Billy Heiser on the podcast. It's, uh, go check it out. It's recent. We, we released it about... Yeah. I want to say three, four weeks ago. So go check out that episode for everyone listening in. Um, Billy provided some great, great insight on not only um, Allison, but along with um, Dominic Kepfer, who Billy also was working with. Uh, and Billy also gives just some great coaching insight in general that I think everyone will enjoy listening to. Okay, I want to do something you know, a little fun right now. I want to kind of ask you a few questions, a few predictions, let's say. And then at the end, I'll, I'll let you... State anything else uh, if you want to add anything further as far as predictions. So, you ready to roll? Let's do it. All right. A guy we have not mentioned, American, best doubles player in the world, in my opinion, and he has struggled mightily in singles. Obviously, injuries have played a role along with some other things. I'll ask you, 
Does Jack Sock, who's singles ranking right now, he doesn't have one. Does he get his singles ranking back within the top, I'll say, 150? Again, he's not, he doesn't have many points to defend at all. Does he get his singles ranking back within the top 150 by the end of 2020? Well, that's tough. Um, I would like to say yes. I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to try and double cross on, you know, try to do that. I'm just going to say yes. And here's why. He definitely has the game. We've seen it. He's won the Paris Masters. He's made Nico as a singles player and as a doubles player. He's one of the greatest players to have lived for this planet in this era, I would argue, just because of this of the sheer, like, he's kind of been under the radar with a lot of these people, but he's had really good results the past couple of years, and I think that with the thumb injury last year, it just really threw him off and threw everybody off, and he has just not been able to recover his game, but if he can find that game again, if he can find his consistency level, get in those challenges in the early season, maybe pick up in the U.S. swing, like, get the home crowd behind him, get that confidence back, I think we could see him in the top 150 by the end of the year, especially because he does so well on the indoor courts in Paris. Right. We shall see. Yeah, we're, we're hoping. Again, in my opinion, best yeah. doubles player in the world by far, and it suits his game perfectly. Just ripping returns on that ad side. He's got great hands. He's got a big serve. Absolutely dominant on the doubles court, and it'll be nice to see. Uh, hopefully, he'll get some good results on the singles the single side of things and, and get his ranking yeah. back up. Okay, next one. Guy we have not mentioned yet who had a lot of talk this year, Yannick Sinner. He won the next gen tournament. He's now ranked top eighty in the world after starting the after starting the year around five fifty. Um, maybe not so much a prediction, but I'll ask you. You know, what do you think about Yannick Sinner? He's definitely one of those guys that's going to be around for a while. Is my prediction the way he plays too? He just seems to not run out of steam a lot. Um, I definitely think he will be in the top ten in his career, whether or not that happens in two years or in ten. But I think that he is definitely one of those people that we're going to have to watch out for, too, in the next few years to see his development because it's going to be dependent on a lot of things. You know, we look at, I think the issue with a lot of people is that we overhype people before they get to that point. Um, we saw Cece Bellis, everyone was talking her up a lot of years ago, and now she's just finally getting herself back into the game. So I think it's going to really depend on Yannick more than anybody else. Um, to see if he can really get to that position. I think he has the capability to. Italian ten- The future of Italian tennis, I will say, extremely bright. You have Matteo Berrettini and Yannick Sinner leading that way. So I'm excited to see what he can do. For sure. Good thoughts on both those guys. Thank you for that. Yeah. Okay, the next two kind of go hand in hand. I'll, so I'll, I'll, I'll ask you both. One, will the big three sweep the slams in 2020? And if not, Name someone else who will win his first time slam. And I want one person. I'm, I'm holding you to it. You can't give me a bunch of oh. these next-gen guys. So first thing, will the, big, will the big three sweep the slams in 2020? I don't, I don't think so. I, don't, I think you're, I, might, I might agree with you. I think this is the year. Okay. So next part, who's going to take it? Who's that person who will win his first time slam? Or will it be someone? Or will it be someone who's not a first-time slam? Someone like a Stan Wawrinka? But I, I'm kind of focused on these next-gen type of guys. I mean, there's two names that probably circulate around my head the most. But the person I believe can actually win a slam would be. I was deciding between Dominic Team and Stefanos Tsitsipas, but I believe Dominic Team could be the next slam winner. 
He has the game, the consistency, the mental capacity, everything that I've talked about in this from just being a good quality player. He has it all. He's come close two times. He, you know, had viral illness during the U.S. Open, and if he can manage that, I could see him winning either the French Open or the U.S. Open next year. So you're going with Dominic Team. Yes. I think that if anyone's going to break through next year, I'm going to go with that attempt. Okay, Blair Henley, who you also know, yeah. she picked Stefano Tsitsipas, and I picked Daniil Medvedev. So all three of us have different picks. We'll see if any of us are right. It'll, we'll see where we're at at the end of 2020. Okay, last one before I'll kind of throw it to you and, and offer you up any other information you want to add. But right now, the big three with the slams. you got Roger at 20. Rafael Nadal at 19, and Novak Djokovic at 16. Does that order get rearranged for most slams at the end of 2020? Yeah. Um, definitely Novak may pick up one next year. I believe Rafa will pick up one next year, too. Um, I don't believe Federer will win another slam. If it does happen, it'll be Wimbledon within the next two years before I believe he'll retire in 2021. Um, I don't. I see that that will be switching. Whether or not one of them, you know, topples the other, I believe that Nadal could potentially tie that. Djokovic could potentially. I believe that Nadal will tie that. I believe Djokovic um, could get to 17 or 18. Um, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not far-fetched to say that Rafa could tie it. Just if Rafa's healthy, you know, again, Dominic Team has gotten to the French Open final a couple times, gotten close. But yeah. again, Rafa is Rafa at the French Open. And if he's healthy, you got to be crazy to, to bet against him. Yeah. So you're thinking right there, you're 2020. If Fed doesn't win a slam, Rafa's right there. He's got Australia and the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wouldn't say Rafa is one of the favorites. You know, as far as the guy to win Wimbledon, obviously, but as far as Australia or the U.S. Open, I mean, he's he's right there. So there yeah. is a chance yeah, he can. Good. There, I mean, there is a chance that at the end of 2020, Rafa has the most slams. In my opinion, I think at the end of 2020, Rafa and Fed will be tied at 20 and and, get, and give Novak another one or two. Um, it's going to be interesting. It, it really is. And, yeah. you know, as far as Roger, I know he didn't win one this last year, and you, you talked about a few of those tough, tough losses. I mean, look at the fine line between winning and losing, and I talked about this with, with Blair um, on a yeah. recent podcast that I, that I sent out a couple of weeks ago, is that, my God, I mean, if he, he had, I think he was love 30 on team serve in the third set. If he breaks him right that game, then, Rof, then, uh, then Fed will hold that next game. He sweeps the Sunshine Double, because he wins Miami, right? And then Wimbledon, yeah. we all know what happened there. It was 15 off, two aces, 40-15. He's literally one swing away. If he wins Indian Wells in Wimbledon, it's a totally different ballgame as far as what we're talking about with, with Fed's year. So do not write him off. He was super, super, super close from having a fantastic year. He did have a very solid year. I mean, he won four titles, I believe. So yeah, don't... Definitely, definitely. I believe that he could be that person to... I believe that he has been that person to win all those titles, and he definitely can do it again. Um, I think that, though, the issue with him this year was that choking mechanism, was the fact that he was choking the whole year pretty much when it mattered. And I think it was an amazing year, but there, then there's those moments that just matter the most. The most, yeah, the momentous moments on the ATP Tour, those are going to be the ones that are going to dictate who has a good year and who has a bad year. And this year, he did not step up at those moments. And that's why I believe maybe, I think, in the next 
next year he can do the same thing, he can keep his level, and actually do well in those big moments, the moments that matter the most, then maybe we'll have a different story next year. For sure. And, and you know, regardless of what anyone says, what he's doing at 38 years old is simply uh, yeah. magnificent. It's unbelievable. So... We shall see. This was fun. We kind of hit, you know, this wasn't meant to be an exhaustive all things hit on year end segment, but we hit on, you know, a number of areas. And I want to thank you for um, taking time of doing this. I, I've gotten to, to know you a little bit more um, over the last few weeks. You know your stuff. We're going to send out a picture of how you kind of break the whole year down at the beginning of the year and you fill things in as we go. Um, We'll see how 2020 goes. And I want to, um, again, thank you for your time. Everyone can follow you on Instagram. And correct me if I'm wrong, You have it's, it's at stadium underscore court, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Everyone go follow Sal, stadium underscore court on Instagram. This guy breaks it down like no other. I don't care if he's 14 years old or he's 44 years old. He knows his stuff. Sal, I want to wish you and your family a happy new year, and I also want to reserve the right, if you're cool with it, to bring you back on. Is that all right? That'd be amazing. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Hey, thanks, Sal. Have a good one. We'll talk soon. You too. Thank you. Bye. All right, there you have it. Sal Katz, again, 14 years old. I'm going to show you this picture that he breaks down the year, uh, and he starts filling in boxes, and he has all these different charts. Um, Great, great, great kid. Go follow him again on Instagram, stadium underscore court. And with that, I hope you all have a very happy new year. Again, please subscribe courtside with Beanlitz and Tennis. We're part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I can be found, this podcast can be found at iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google. And it's been a heck of a year. Thank you guys all for listening, and we can't wait for what's in store coming in the future. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.